0: Welcome to the first read Ultimate Spider Man (laughs) issues one through 160. We're breaking down Bendis's iconic run in Earth 1610, issues one through 160. So I'm here with Zach. And uh, how's your day been going? Do we want to start that over? (laughs) How'd I do?
1: (laughs) You were great. No notes. So how's how's your day going? Uh, My day's going pretty good. How about you?
0: It's going great. Just had a good day at school. The kids had a social studies
1: test. I think they did really well on it. I'm glad to hear that. How was your weekend away from cold, dreary Indiana? Ah,
0: thank you for asking. I went to Disney World this past weekend. Uh, my wife had a business conference in Orlando. So I got to go with her and play some golf and we went to Disney on Sunday and I happened to pick up this little beauty for the podcast.
1: Oh, what you got there? Oh my God. That is beautiful. (laughs) Is that listener? He is holding up a, Spider-Man Christmas tree mug. I I don't know how else to describe it. It's the shape of a Christmas tree. It's green. It's got multiple spider Man hanging ornaments. That's beautiful. And
0: and you, Zach, is a huge Spider-Man fan. So I was actually wondering, can you tell
1: me the different spider Man that are on this? Yeah, you might not know it, but the co-host of a Spider-Man podcast like (laughs) Spider-Man. Well, you're holding up Miles Morales right there. Okay. I think we got one here.
0: Uh that'd be Spider-Gwen. Yeah, that's easy. And here's here's the one that I figure is going to be tough because I would have no idea, you know, what
1: version it is. Yeah, so people would probably get this wrong. They'd probably say that that's Peter Parker, but that would actually be Peter Parker wearing a scarf. <laughs> wow, I would have got that wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a common mistake. No shame on you. <clears throat>
0: yeah, so I picked that up. I saw it, and I told Elizabeth, that's my wife's name. I said, oh, I have to get this and pull it up next time Zach and I record. Yeah, that, that's pretty great. We're away from the Ultimate Team Ups for a week, and we're back on Solo Spider-Man, starting issue six. And Zach, yes. I think
1: you're going to do issue six for oh us. My- give us a breakdown. My God, that was such a good segue. I really wish I could, but, but first a word from our sponsor. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, Spider-Man isn't always available to help when you encounter bad guys. If you've been the victim of a scam or bad business practices, can't talk today. Call the Better Business Bureau. The Better Business Bureau provides the public with information on businesses and charities. Their A-plus through F grading scale lets you know what kind of problems and experiences consumers have had with organizations in the past. For more information, visit BBB.org today. And thank you for sponsoring the pod. Great catch. We almost, yeah.
0: we almost forgot that. Dude. And these microphones don't pay for themselves.
1: I know we almost whiffed so hard on our biggest investor, our only investor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyways, thank you for uh, the, the nice, beautiful lead up before that. Um, so yeah, talking about uh, issues six through seven, just to recap where we six were. Through befo- eight. Excuse me, six through eight, just to recap where we were before this. Um, if you remember in episode one, Uh, Peter Parker got bit by a spider, not a radioactive spider, but a spider that had been genetically tampered with. And he discovered he had powers imbued to him through that spider. Uh, His uncle Ben died as a result of a, a home invasion. He tracked down the killer, realized that he had had the opportunity to stop him earlier and that he had the responsibility to protect people, so he decided to start superheroing. Superheroing. I cannot talk today.
0: So, Zach, and you know, maybe this will tease because this might come up in these episodes. But what happened to Uncle Ben's killer, Peter Parker or Spider Man? Tracked him down, and then did he did he get him arrested? What ended up happening?
1: Yeah, he uh, he roped him up and threw him down uh, to the cops. They were in a warehouse. Okay. Okay. Does that
0: come up? Kind of. <laughs> they talk about like kingpin, and they get into his. He like starts doing some research on the guy and the crime, right? In okay. New York. So it kind of does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tell Shiloh I said hi.
1: I will. Tell her smoker
0: head out. Oh, oh, I will. I didn't even know she was there. Johnny. Oh,
1: me. John says well, hi. Well, actually, maybe,
0: maybe it might have been, it might have been someone else because doesn't doesn't someone else live with you guys?
1: Yeah, her sister.
0: Okay, okay, maybe it was. I don't know. I saw yeah. someone walk across.
1: I'll tell them both. Okay. Good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So when we pick up. Uh, in our story with issue six, which was written by Brian Michael Bendis and Bill Jemis, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Art to colored by JC and lettered by Albert DeShane. We open on J. Jonah Jameson reading the headlines of his competitors papers in front of the Daily Bugle writers. All of the competitors papers are writing about Spider-Man and he holds them up to the Bugle's front page. And we see that their headline was about Norman Osborn's house burning down, which happened at the end of issue five. And Jameson believes that his paper has gotten stale and that focusing more on Spider-Man will help boost sales. And he says, I bet right this second he's up to something that will be our headline tomorrow. And then we would flip the page if we weren't reading on Marvel Unlimited. And you see a reveal of Peter Parker dancing in his basement in his underwear and a T-shirt. He's saying, I did it. I did it. And he's celebrating because he finally solved his father's web formula um, for like a strong adhesive webbing.
0: So what do you what do you think of that right away? Like the fact that his dad was working on this thing that would be almost perfect for a Spider-Man. And then he happens to become Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, it's pretty uh, superfluous. Superfluous?
0: I was thinking it seemed convenient, but... Was that the wrong word there? I don't know. I don't know enough about the English language to know (laughs) superfluous. It was a good good word choice.
1: Well, either way, you're right. It was a little convenient.
0: And... uh, but is his dad important in most versions of the story? It seems like, you know, nowadays his or I don't think Peter's parents were important in the M. MC-
1: yeah, I lost you. Uh, It says John's device is not capable to record.
0: Oh, no. Am I back?
1: You're back. Um, okay. I don't know what that was.
0: I'm not sure what that was either. That'll yeah. just be a fun little uh adventure for the yeah. listeners. Just leave it in. <laughs> Make it raw, baby. Um, so is are Peter's parents important in this story? Did Bendis create them as a backstory kind of, or are they just is he just a
1: normal kid? I won't say he created the concept of Peter's parents being interesting, but I think he definitely expanded it in this run and did more okay. with it than normally what you would see. Okay,
0: well then, then it, it makes a little more sense that they were he was working on something you know
1: different and experimental, kind of. Yeah, but to basically like to your point of like, isn't that a little? serendipitous that's the word i meant to say instead of superfluous that's a good one. yeah but yeah to your point about um it being serendipitous that uh peter's dad was working on something that's going to be perfect for him for his superheroing career um i think it goes back to like when you're making a spider-man story you can choose between giving him organic webbing like what toby mcguire has or just comes right out of the wrist Or you can have him have to have some kind of like web shooter. And I think generally they make him have like a web shooter so that I think you can have some stories where it's like, oh, no, it broke. And so his back's more against the wall. And if you're going to have him do that, I think it makes more sense that instead of him being some genius who also got bit by a spider, I think it makes sense that he kind of piggybacked off of someone else who had figured a lot of it out. I like it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So anyways, uh, he starts testing the webbing, and he notices that it's...
0: Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. So when we are talking with J. Jonah Jameson, he puts Uric, or Uric. (laughs) Is that a famous person? I feel like you know what that name is from.
1: Or is that name supposed to be from something? He's from this. He's just another like B or C character in Peter Parker's world.
0: Okay. Is he just is he kind of always in the Daily Bugle?
1: Yeah, he's um, like their top writer. Okay. He's like the Woodward and Bernstein of the Marvel Universe.
0: Okay. Did you did you mention uh, what story he was working on that Jameson took him off of?
1: The Kingpin. Uh, Yeah, the, the Kingpin
0: Murdoch story. Yeah, just
1: a little more world building. I wonder if that'll come into this at any point. It, very it made soon. me
0: excited. I was like, I I want to start reading about Daredevil.
1: Oh, uh, that might happen in this run, too. Oh, yeah. You're in store for a lot of good stuff. So, yeah, uh, Peter starts testing out his webbing and he realizes that it's very strong and a little elastic and the end is totally adhesive, but the sides are. Just tacky enough to hold on to. So if you ever like me and you just spend a long amount of time wondering like what Spider-Man's webs have to feel like and be made of to do the things they do, um, I feel like that's a pretty good explanation that helps, you know, explain away some of the stuff that happens. Uh, the next day in school, Peter is so tired from working late on the webbing. He falls asleep in class and when the teacher tries to wake him up he breaks another desk like he did in episode 1 so that's a that's like a funny little callback
0: and and that's also a um a really funny scene i think where if it were like a movie or a tv show or even a book we were reading it would hit harder because it's peter working on his webs and then aunt may is yelling at him through the door you need to go to bed or you're going to be tired at school. And Peter says, I'll be fine. And the immediate next panel, which I'm guessing would be turning the page is Peter snoring in class. So it's just kind of funny. It it, it smash cuts to that.
1: Yeah. It's very cinematic. It plays like it would in like a, like a teen comedy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, So the teacher Frustrated, she's like, "That's the second desk you broke this week." So we know it's still only been like a week since he got bit, and you know, Uncle Ben died. Um, she threatens him by saying, "If it happens again, she'll tell his basketball coach." And Peter says, "There's no need." He quit the team that morning, and later in the hallway, MJ goes up to him and says, "She supports him quitting the team because it wasn't him." But Kong interrupts them. And he's upset with Peter for quitting. Uh, he ex- Peter explains that he has a lot going on since his uncle died. And Kong kind of responds like a like a teenage bully jerk, jerk. would. He says, your uncle croaked. So now you can't play ball. <laughs> and yeah, he's got a point. Kong does. I'm just kidding. No,
0: it's awful.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's. You know, when they talk about like multiple intelligences and like, oh, how emotionally intelligent are you? (laughs) Kong's like zero. Yeah. Uh, As the two of them argue, Harry Osborn walks in and everyone's attention shifts to him. And the group uh, tries to ask him how he's doing and tell him that they're sorry about his parents dying. And he just looks traumatized. He's like virtually emotionless. And responds to their sympathy with like mild apathy. And just then an explosion happens at the far end of the hallway. It rattles everyone.
0: And right before the explosion, we get our very first scene of Spidey sense. Because Peter can tell something's going on right before it happens. He's like, wait, do you guys feel that or something? And then the next frame, there's the explosion
1: good catch john i didn't even i didn't even have that in my notes i don't think it registered when i reread it um but as they're trying to process the first explosion another one happens even closer and suddenly there's smoke and flames everywhere and kong grabs uh harry under one arm and guides mj with the other uh, as the three of them and flash thompson run out and make it outside the school And Harry is in a panic, and he just keeps repeating, he's come for me, he's come for me, somebody help me, he's here. And we don't know who he's talking about, but just then, Peter jumps by in his finally finished Spidey suit, saying, heads up, big time superhero coming through. (laughs) This is the first time we've seen him in the suit, when it's been completed at least. Um, It's explained through a flashback that Peter almost changed into a Spidey suit in the school, but then he realized that that might blow his cover and make it suspicious that Spider-Man was already there. So he jumped out a window and changed outside so he could be publicly seen entering the school, which makes sense. But I like it. It still seemed a little goofy (laughs) to me to dedicate like two pages to that.
0: a hundred percent. And I thought the exact same thing. I was like, this is kind of funny that he's like taking the time to, to worry about this. But also I don't think anyone was going to notice. Right. But at least he's thinking about
1: it. Yeah. If people in his world took that much effort to think about who Spider-Man is, they would have already figured him out. Yeah. Maybe it's the nerdy kid that well, couldn't stand what- up for himself a week ago. And now is Duncan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's That's true And they said, and we saw him get bit by a spider Right, didn't they see it? Because that's why he goes out and changes He's like, well, if they see me in the school They already know I got bit by a spider They're probably going to put two and two together So, at least he's trying
1: Yeah, at least he's trying The Peter Parker story Yeah <laughs> Uh, once inside the school again, Peter comes face to face with a large, muscular, and mysterious figure with horns and a purple cloak.
0: It is, and it is enormous. It is hulking over him.
1: But, yeah, but not, but not like the Hulk. It's not the Hulk. <laughs> I mean, if he was colored green all the way, which he later will be, oh yeah, you could mistake him for the Hulk. Oh, with he like is hulking. Yeah, I
0: think Kong Kong says that. And the next yeah. one, he talks about how it looked like the
1: Hulk. Yeah. Um, and Peter starts doing what will become a trademark of his. He starts rattling off silly quips, talking about like, oh, are you the new home ec teacher? As he starts fighting this thing. And his inner monologue kind of guides the rest of the issue. It tells us that uh, he's telling jokes while fighting because it distracts him from all the fear that uh, he feels in that moment. And we see that in addition to its exceptional size and strength, the monster man can create and throw fireballs. And so that's where the explosions had come from. And they fight back and forth until Peter decides he needs to lead the thing out of the building and away from people. So he tries to like leap out of a window, but the creature catches him and launches him through, launches both of them really through a brick wall. And it then starts leaping like hundreds of feet in the air, squeezing Peter and taunting him by saying, Parker. <laughs> and that's the end of the issue.
0: So do you think it was jumping or was it flying?
1: My take is that it looks like he's jumping really, really high. Like you know how okay. the how the Hulk can jump like, you know, a mile or something, but he's not flying? Yep.
0: Okay. I just wasn't sure. Yeah, it did kind of look like he was just jumping up in the air extremely
1: far. Yeah, I just say that because with like the foresight of where the series is going, you never see him fly at any later point. Okay. Okay. So
0: what did you think of this one? Well summarized.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know what grading scale you want to use today.
0: So for the uh, issues today. Um, because I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) that's a good one. That would have been a good one. Um, I'm not sure that we took enough time when I say how big, which I have in my notes, Green Goblin is what I've been calling him the whole time. So is nothing like a Green Goblin I've ever seen in that he is just enormously over over you know towering over spider-man and he's also ripped out of his mind so for these issues i said um we could judge it out of eight abdominal muscles okay that is good (laughs) i like that um so this one i i thought it was pretty good um you know i liked the beginning with j jonah jameson i love a good scene with j jonah jameson and the daily bugle um I, I, I like Peter creating his own webbing and he went into a lot of detail with it. Like you talked about what, you know, they're real things that like, if you were creating a webbing, they're like real things that you would think to yourself about. Um, and then the fight with the green goblin was fun. So, uh, I gave it seven out of eight abdominal muscles.
1: Okay. Yeah. Green,
0: green abdominal muscles or green goblin abdominal muscles
1: i can dig it it's no one else's just his yeah yeah um i'd probably i i'm similar you know i all the things that you say are right with it i also think are right with it i really spend way too much time thinking about like spider-man's webbings like how elastic are they like could he really swing from most of the buildings in new york because they're not all skyscrapers so that was like A weight off my shoulders to see it It, kind of explained and he talks
0: about how long is this stuff gonna last maybe an an hour or a minute maybe forever like he has no idea which makes sense he would have no idea you know this is all trial and error and he even says that he's like well this will be great for a superhero nerd like me to try out or test out or something
1: yeah, it's cool to see him um, figuring stuff out. And we're going to continue with that theme in this episode and, you know, this whole series, really. Um, I will say the the whole dedicating a lot of time in the middle of an action sequence to explain him jumping through a bathroom window and yeah, you know, that, that falling down a dumpster. That, that was g-
0: supposed to be for I think that was more supposed to be like for comedic relief than to actually explain his thinking.
1: I think it was too, and I think it's like it's logical, but it doesn't fit the uh, the mood of the story. It yeah, know, it goes from like high tension to that back to high tension with no real buffer. So I'm going to say six abdominal muscles. Okay,
0: no, he still got a good six pack in that issue.
1: Oh yeah, better than me. Okay, by six. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, all right. So issue seven. This is story by. Bill Jemus and Zach, if I mispronounce anyone's name, jump in and let me know. So it's story Jemis, by Bill... but I don't think he'll mind. <laughs> story by... is he passed away?
1: Oh, no. We just don't okay, know. <laughs> We're going to listen to our pod. Okay. We'll we'll get him on. <laughs> yeah. The Marvel president, Bill Jemis. <laughs>
0: story by Bill Jemis and Brian Michael Bendis. Script by Brian Michael Bendis. Penciled by Mark Bagley and Art uh to bear
1: yeah to bear that one gives me trouble too but i just heard them say it on an episode of jane miles explain the x-men so i'm gonna go with to bear
0: okay so if i call this creature the green goblin is that going to make sense or should i not call them that when i'm doing
1: uh when i'm recapping you can call them that the only reason i wasn't is because it hasn't been said yet in the story okay so i guess
0: that's that's just my uh vast spider-man knowledge of knowing that
1: norman osborn is generally the green goblin yeah you're too smart i mean yeah <laughs> most people who are familiar with spider-man and are listening to this pod already knew it so we can we can just you know take okay. that mystery away yeah
0: he's a big green guy with a goblin face <laughs> <laughs> Who um, okay so the green goblin is flying Spider-Man or jumping really high through the sky. And he kind of winds up and throws him towards the ground. Spider-Man panicking because he he's he's flying through the air towards the ground seconds away from death. He panics. He sprays his new webbing at the ground and he kind of webs up a little hammock that ends up catching him and he can't believe himself. And then he is also thinking to himself as he's kind of recovering from this, you know, did. Did that thing just say my name? Because how would that know who who it who I am? Because he still hasn't really talked about it. But the, you know, as Zach told us in the last issue, he's kind of taunting him saying,
1: Parker. Oh, come on. You can do a better goblin voice than that.
0: <laughs> Parker. <laughs> Was that a good one? Oh yeah. Okay. Eight abdominal well. muscles there. <laughs> that is a, great. Um, so the Green Goblin is heading back towards the school, presumably for Harry, when Spider-Man shows back up to continue the fight. So Peter is trying to web up the Green Goblin and he accidentally hits the NYPD helicopters that are there to to help out. And where are they
1: right now? The the fight's kind of progressed somewhere. You see where they're at?
0: Are they not just right outside the school anymore? Oh, uh, well, I, I know it ends on like a bridge or something like that. Is yeah, that it looks like progressed.
1: it looks like they're close to the bridge at this point. It looks like they are within like, you know, stones throw away from the Brooklyn Bridge.
0: OK, so so Peter has lured the fight somewhere else. Yeah, and did you and, notice
1: the twin towers in the background? Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, oh, I there, yeah, I keep looking at that and all these issues. That that's is a,
0: so interesting. And this must have been in what two thousand and one or two thousand,
1: right? Within twelve months of that. Wow, that's yeah, interesting. that's a weird like time capsule thing because yeah, the art look too dated. Yet it looks no. like. It should be more recent, but it's not. Oh.
0: Wow. Great catch, Zach. You're going to be things, looking for things, it in all things,
1: these episode uh, issues now. I
0: am. So Spider-Man and the Green Goblin are now fighting away from the school and Spider-Man tries to web up, you know, this creature and he accidentally gets the NYPD's helicopters and I kept thinking that they were going to explain why his webbing was green. But is that just what it looked like in the animation? Because it seemed to me that his webbing is green.
1: Yeah, I see that too. I think it was maybe supposed to be more gray. Because if it's like clear, then it being on the windshield doesn't really affect them. So I think they were trying to go for like a grayer webbing. But maybe the colorist had some different ideas.
0: Okay. I like I said, I kept thinking that they were gonna make a comment about it or maybe like something to do with the green goblin, but I they never did. So I was, maybe it this is what the like, looks like. Like
1: swamp goop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the 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 helicopter even says, you know, it looks like something gross or puke or something. Yeah. So Peter gets flung away from the fight. And the helicopter is about to confront this creature. and and Peter's still first and foremost, kind of just trying to get the situation under control rather than fight. He's like, these guys don't know what they're up against. Well, I don't know what I'm up against either. So I don't know what I, I I'm just I just gotta try to get get this under control so no one gets hurt. So he's swinging around. He's quipping all over the place. The police start to shoot at the creature and they hit him a bunch of times. Doesn't really seem to do much to, to me from my perspective. It looked like he was taking all of the bullets, you know, pretty easily. And he's still just menacingly saying, Parker. <laughs> and Peter doesn't understand how this thing knows who he is. So the creature lunges towards Peter. He makes a good dodge out of the way and it causes the green goblin presumably norman osborn to go flying off the bridge down into the water below and you kind of see his hand come up and then it goes back down into the water so so potentially he's he's been defeated or he's dead but we as comic book fans know better than that so peter's now talking to the nypd helicopter and he's saying we we need to go and look for this guy we can still save him you know good guy peter parker still wants to try and help whatever person or creature this is but the nypd kind of has different plans they want to arrest spider-man and they're 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 saying if you move we're going to shoot you and then I would say without him moving, they just kind of start opening fire and luckily Spider-Man dodges around and uh, then we kind of cut to he shows back up as Peter Parker back outside the school.
1: Yeah, so I I think you're right that they were going to shoot him regardless because he's standing still and he's complying and then he gets like his spider sense and you start seeing him do backflips. And they're they just start spraying. They're like, da, 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 da. yes, yeah,
0: he does. He does really only survive because his spider sense because they do start shooting at him before he does anything.
1: Yeah. And then he so he just jumps off the Brooklyn Bridge and gets away.
0: Yeah. And we see him. He shows back up outside the school. The police say they found him hiding underneath a chalkboard. And then we kind of hear part of Peter's conversation where he's like, yeah, I got stuck underneath some stuff in the school. And they're all kind of wondering, oh, my gosh, what is that? What was that? And then Harry says that it was his father and his father, Norman Osborn, didn't actually die in that lab explosion. He turned in to whatever this creature is. He killed his mom, burned the house down and is now trying to kill Harry. So As Harry's kind of explaining all this, Peter is kind of doing his own internal thinking of, well, this thing knows I'm Spider-Man. So did it show up to kill me or did it show up to kill Harry or maybe both of us? And he doesn't really know what's going on. Um, And then elsewhere, we see just a couple of air bubbles coming up from the bottom of the river like or wherever the green goblin fell in so we know he's the alive down there water. whatever body of water the brooklyn bridge is built over <laughs> okay Z- our, Z- our zach our resident geography major here what body of water did
1: he fall into i don't know wouldn't it be the east is that river the hudson i don't know <laughs> it's either the hudson or the east river it's one of the two that creates like the peninsula of manhattan if we have like serious listeners from manhattan they're going to be laughing at us because this whole <laughs> series we're we're just going to confidently be talking and not know what we're saying no i won't ever know what
0: i'm saying about the new york landmarks i didn't even see the <laughs> twin towers <laughs>
1: um did you notice something else here in these last couple pages i thought the like reunion. Of when, you know, the they, they're like, oh, we found him under a chalkboard and he goes out to meet his friends and Aunt May is there too. And like the first person who reacts to him is uh, Mary Jane, just like, it looks like she's about to lay him out. It looks like a, a real quality football tackle and she's just like hugging him and they're both like open mouth smiling. It looked, it was just so cute, you know, like you can tell this girl is like head over heels for him and he doesn't even know it yet.
0: You're saying she hugs Peter? Yeah. When he walks up?
1: On page 16. Oh, yep. And then on 18, you get in... they're so cute. They are. And then on 18, you get another one of those with Aunt May. And she's, like, crying. She's, like, hysterical. You can tell she thinks he's the most helpless thing. I don't know. I just thought that was, was like, sweet.
0: Yeah. Well, they're... uh, There in the next episode, there is a panel of Peter with Aunt May that we'll talk about it when we get to it, that I think is a very obvious callback to a panel with Mary Jane a couple issues ago. So it. That's funny that now you say that there's another one where they kind of are in similar poses, Mary Jane and Aunt May. And I, I wonder if like that's something that they purposefully did, kind of putting Peter and Aunt May and then Peter and Mary Jane in similar poses like multiple times, because they're obviously the two most important ladies in his life.
1: Yeah, I think there might be something to the idea that he is inherently this very powerful man even though you know people don't realize it of of him yet but his strength really comes from like these two women oh i like it yeah uh what what do you want to give this one in terms of uh green goblin abdominal muscles um i like this one a lot also (laughs) uh
0: i didn't really think about it but i i I don't think it was any better or any worse than the last one. So I'll give it seven more abdominal muscles.
1: Yeah. So I gave the last one six and I really liked the last one. I think I'm just a harsher greater than you. You definitely are. <laughs> I'm going to give this one a five, not because it does anything wrong per se, but I really like the interpersonal stuff in this book. Um, I think a good issue is, you know, a mix of Peter and the people around him and him doing Spider-Man stuff. And I feel like this was just a, a real fight heavy book, um, which which is yeah, good. That's it, true. Was a, that- it was a good fight heavy book, but I, I'm still, it was just so heavily that I got to give it five abdominal muscles, which again is more than what I have. So no yeah. shame there.
0: No, you know, I, I actually think that I'm going to take away an abdominal muscle because, uh, you're right. It was mostly fighting. And I generally, I remember even when I started reading this one, I thought to myself, Oh, I hope that this isn't going to be just like a fight for the entire second part. Like it was when he met the Hulk, you know, mm-hmm. where the, the first episode is built up and then the second episode, they're just fighting the entire time. And I remember thinking, I hope that that's not what this one is. And I guess maybe there was enough stuff that I didn't really notice that that's what it was. So it's it's still good, but I'm going to go six out of eight.
1: You know, now that you say that, I don't know if this is the case because I've never consciously thought about it like that. But I wonder if that's a Bendis hallmark or um, if it's kind of going to change up because there's a lot of conflicts in this series that spills over into multiple issues. And I wonder if they'll, you know, a lot of them will have really plot heavy ones followed by a fight one and just switch off like that. Or if Mm. that's just these two examples. Interesting. We'll have to keep note. Yeah. We'll look out for that. Any behoozle moving on to issue eight, our final issue of the day. This one was written solely by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, Bill Jemis was just assisting him with the uh, intro arc so uh, issues 1 through 7 this one from here on out it's just Bendis Um, it was penciled again by Mark Bagley it was inked by Art Taber colored by JC and lettered by Wes Abbott so we open on an armored truck robbery Uh, The robber has devices that look like brass knuckles and seem to be sending shockwaves at the truck's guards. It's a little unclear what's happening. It's
0: very well drawn, I think because it legitimately, even as I look at it now makes me think that my phone is vibrating. I mean, I thought it looked really cool.
1: Yeah, it definitely looks cool. That is for sure. Um, Peter swings in and punches the robber and the robber tries to shoot him with his devices but Peter fills them with webbing and they overload which shocks him unconscious um, I'm just going to say it right here that really bad robber is shocker and those things are like they like vibrate it's like they vibrate the air around people
0: uh, and Peter says "What? who are you the vibrator?
1: yeah do doo yeah, so, uh, so one thing I like about this series is some villains, like, in the real world, some are probably going to be, like, par for, you know, the course, and some some are going to be really, really hard to beat, and some are just going to be, like, a dude who has yeah. a thing, and... <laughs> not everyone has to be like this big climactic boss battle and this yeah. is one of the guys that he just handles like so easily.
0: Yeah, and and I like that because he's got superhero powers. He should a normal guy he should dispatch before the guy even knows he's coming. And he kind of even says that with the vibrator because he says, you know, First, he he kind of announces himself and he says, hey, who are you? The vibrator? And then he like kind of punches him and and then he gets attacked and then he stops him, you know, and he's like, well, I should have taken care of him way quicker than that because he could have done some real damage, you know, and he kind of makes the mental note. OK, next time I just need to knock them out before they even know what's going on, which I like.
1: Yeah. He's learning. He's growing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Peter tries to tell the guards to call the police, but they interrupt him to say, just take it. Cause they think he's taking over this other guy's robbery. I think that's kind of interesting is that early on everyone's assuming the worst about him. Yeah. Um, so he swings away and he just tells him again, call the cops. And later at school, Peter overhears, uh, Liz Kong and flash talking about how the newspaper is offering a boatload of money to anyone who has good pictures of Spider-Man. And he hears this and he thinks to himself, Hmm, I know how to get good pictures of Spider-Man. So he, uh, dons his costume and poses in front of a camera on a timer and gets pictures of himself. So is this
0: a new Brian Michael, Michael Bendis created, Plot line where Peter takes pictures of Spider-Man for a part-time job, or is this already in the canon?
1: Oh no, this is like super old. This is like um Stanley Steve Ditko old. Okay, um, if okay. anything, so this
0: was that was originally how Spider-Man made money, is he took pick or how Peter Parker made money? He took pictures of Spider-Man working at the Daily Bugle.
1: Yes, if anything, okay. this run subverts that by making it go down a completely different path as we'll see in this issue. Okay. Yeah. So he goes uh, into Manhattan to the daily bugle office to try and sell the pictures. He walks up to the triad of um, editors, J Jonah Jameson, Robbie Robertson and writer Ben Ulrich. We've already met them because of the team up issues that we did out of order, but um, in universe, this is the first time he is meeting them. And they are so entrenched in their conversation that they don't even notice him there. Jonah is talking about wanting more coverage of Spider-Man because he thinks that Spider-Man is going to be their OJ. And Robbie responds that they have nothing on Spider-Man. And Peter gets their attention by holding up the pictures he had taken. Perfect timing.
0: Right as they say, we don't
1: have anything
0: on Spider-Man, Peter Parker's there holding pictures of him.
1: Yeah, and they just stop and they're looking at him like, who is this kid that has exactly what we need? Um, And uh, Jonah tries to lowball Peter, offering him 50 bucks for all of the pictures.
0: Well, before you do that, and since I stopped you, I guess I'll do the uh, I'll do the imitation. We get our very first J. Jonah Jameson. um you know, what I recognize him from the movies, which is crap, crap, crap. What'd you take these with a disposable camera, camera, crap, crap.
1: Yeah. And I think that line actually makes it into the first Spider-Man. I'm pretty
0: sure it does exactly word for word. I'm pretty sure that is in the the movie.
1: I hope Bendis like fought for a like (laughs) co-screenwriter credit on that then. But that is, I mean, that is a great, Classic line. Why'd you take these with a disposable (laughs) camera? (laughs) Yeah. So he we've already set him up very quickly as like just this cantankerous boss that you know no one's ever gonna be able to please.
0: Yeah. This is a guy that all he wants is pictures of Spider-Man, and then a kid walks up holding perfect pictures and he just has nothing to say but insulting him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and still tries to lowball him. He's like He's like Mr. Krabs. Like, he he yeah. desperately wants something, but he wants to save a buck getting it <laughs> even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so before Peter can even respond to the uh, honestly insulting offer, um, the secretary behind him screams in frustration. And this is our introduction to Betty Brandt. Uh, she is frustrated because the Daily Bugle website crashed on her. And apparently this is a fairly regular occurrence. And Jonah asks her if she can just fix it because the bugle paid for her to take a computer class. And I really liked this line. This was oh, I know what you're about to say. This was smart of her. She's like, if uh, it was a one day class, if I took a one day class in Chinese, I wouldn't know Chinese by the end of the day.
0: (laughs) That is that is a phenomenal line. That's actually not what I thought you were going to say, but that is a great one.
1: What did you think I was going for?
0: So I thought that it was very uh, tongue in cheek of Mr. Bendis that she says, I'm not a web developer. And meanwhile, (laughs) Peter is right there having developed his own webs, not one issue later or one issue before. And then she also says there's a lot of, well, you have to do this to fix the website and what it's not the website, it's the web server and this web and that web. And I can't help but think that those were all put in on purpose for a little Spider-Man wink and a nod. Oh,
1: yeah, um, I was going to get there eventually, but that's
0: I, I thought you were. So I'm sorry I jumped the gun.
1: No, no, you're good. I'm glad, you know, we both picked up on it because it is a very clever thing to do. It, um, yeah. Yeah. So while this conversation is happening between uh, Betty and Jonah, Peter's looking over her shoulder at the screen and he just kind of quietly says the scripts are in a recursive loop and everyone stops and looks at him. And this leads to him explaining what is happening to the site and he sits at Betty's desk and just fixes the issue like it's no problem. And Jameson offers him a job on the spot, not as a photographer, like you would think, but to come to the bugle after school and be their web designer. And in my notes, I literally put LOL web. (laughs) So not only is she saying web a lot and having problems with her web site, but he literally is going to be the web guy for the daily bugle.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. I do like that a lot.
1: And they don't want to hire him for his pictures, which is hilarious because literally no one on earth can get better pictures of Spider-Man than him. (laughs) I just think that's like such a modern take on this that, you know, you you hire this high school kid, but he's not going to be your photographer anymore. It's because kids are good with technology. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny.
0: I wonder if, that's a realistic thing that a computer guy could look at and fix that quickly. Like, I wonder if like a web developer reading that would be like, yeah, this all makes total sense because I would have no, you know, he could have said anything there.
1: Right. It almost made me Google if a recursive loop is a real thing. Yeah,
0: it all sounded like it was, you know, correct.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could see it going either way, like. Bendis is a comic book writer. He's not a computer guy. Yeah. <laughs> unless that's a secret talent that I don't know about. Maybe he consulted with a computer guy. Maybe he made it up. Both seem plausible. Um, So that leads to a, a kind of funny scene where Peter uh, calls home to ask Aunt May's permission to work the job. Because remember, he's only 15. He tells them he's practically 16. They think he's 16, but he's kind of hiding it from them. Um, And she asks to speak with Jameson. And that just leads to this hilarious page of panels where, like, you only see his side of the conversation. And he can barely get two words out. He's like, well, yes, ma'am, I'm sure he's a fine boy. And then you can tell she's talking over him. And he's like, yeah, uh uh-huh. And he he does that thing where you hold the phone away from your... (laughs) Face And you look at it like, is this person serious? And he's like, I understand. And it's hilarious because you can just tell this guy who is used to getting his way, like in the boardroom and with all these people working under him, he is just getting given the what for for from a (laughs) from a little old lady talking about how, you know, you better not, you know, take advantage of my. Nephew, or whatever she was saying,
0: yeah, that was a really funny scene. I like that,
1: yeah. And then, uh, it ends with him getting off the phone and saying to Peter, You ever do that to me again, and I'll toss you out a window.
0: <laughs> cut cut to immediately, what Zach? Do you have uh, the nightmare? Right? Spider Man's will cut to immediately, Spider Man swinging outside a window. He says, if you ever do that again, I'll throw you out a window. And the very next scene is Spider-Man through a window.
1: Almost as if to say, and here's what would happen if you tried. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that night, uh, Peter has a nightmare about Uncle Ben's death. And Aunt May, like, overhears well, him.
0: So I, I, we don't originally know that it's a nightmare.
1: That's true. It's just for portrayed a- for a few pages um, in yeah, different it looks, artwork as like it a retelling. Looks,
0: so i I didn't notice that right away, but I definitely did not think it was a nightmare right away. I was thinking, oh, he's just swinging around. I thought, oh, Spider Man's just going to stop a crime like an everyday occurrence. You know, he's he doesn't he's not dealing with the Green Goblin every day. Some days he just stops a crime that's happening and he's kind of about to stop this person who's robbing a store and he jumps in and then the guy immediately turns around and shoots him. And then I'll let you take over for when, when Spider-Man gets shot, what happens?
1: Uh, It turns into uncle Ben. And then you see Ben standing there bleeding. And when I said it had different art, it's still Mark Bagley's pencils. It still looks very close to what you've been seeing. Which is why you could not, not even notice it, but it definitely has like a fuzzier penciler and a different um, colorist. So it stands out from the rest of the book. And then all of a sudden, he just wakes up and it goes back to the normal colorist and um, inker that you're used to. And you can see uh, apparently he was like screaming or something. Aunt May rushes into his room and starts comforting him. And so I this doesn't really progress the plot, but what it does is show us the consequences of things that have previously happened. I feel like one of the failings of really early Spider-Man, like the Stan Lee era uh, Spider-Man is uncle Ben dies in the first few pages of amazing fantasy. And then it's just only, Casually referenced in passing occasionally Um, In this you can tell Like this is what would happen if you're a teenager And one of your caretakers died a week ago You're still dealing with that And and I was
0: thinking Oh this is going to have to do with the run itself Because I think it kind of sets up What Peter's going to have to get over And I don't know this obviously because I haven't read all of it but you know, he it's not just he had a nightmare about Uncle Ben dying, but the first thing he says to Aunt May is I couldn't stop it. So it's not just his nightmare, he has some pretty strong guilt about he should have stopped this. It should have never got to this. He should have stopped that robber before he ever got to Uncle Ben, you know. So it's not just he's feeling upset about Uncle Ben's death, he's feeling very responsible about Uncle Ben's
1: death also, I think. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's reinforcing the character development we've seen, setting the stage for his actions in the future to have been influenced by this and um at the same time reminding like this wasn't that long ago to him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and there's
0: the scene where it's very similar to Mary Jane earlier after Uncle Ben dies and he just collapses into Mary Jane's arms. You know, yeah. we have him collapsing into Aunt May's arms in the exact same way.
1: Yeah, again, these two women are um his foundation. Um so yeah. After that, we return to the Daily Bugle And we see Peter starts using the paper's database to research known criminals. They basically have like all these files of stories that they hadn't written yet, but they had gathered evidence for. And he finds out that the head of organized crime in New York City is Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. And he asks Robbie why no one ever goes after Fisk, even though everyone knows he's a crime boss. And Robbie tells him that the paper tried once. But Fisk bought stock in the company to kill the story. Which seems like it might be an indictment of just capitalism.
0: A hundred percent. But also what what a power Kingpin move. My only knowledge of Kingpin is from the Daredevil series that was on years ago. And I, I think that that is an amazing show. But that just seems like such a kingpin thing to do. You know, you just buy the paper if they're going to say bad stuff about you.
1: Oh yeah. Just use your fear and money and influence to have spies everywhere, have people on your payroll. And if you can't buy them off, you like somehow influence some other way to like silence them. You're always working in the shadows. That's his MO. Yeah. Um, and then Robbie says there's a school of thought that says if you brought down the kingpin, someone else would just take his place. And the issue ends with Peter looking back at the screen and saying, oh, yeah, we'll see. And that's Peter Parker saying,
0: you know, no one can do anything about kingpin. Well, now I know what I'm going to be focusing on is kingpin. And I I, it made me very I'm looking forward to reading these next ones because I'm guessing that this is where the story goes is now we're going to get into Wilson Fisk.
1: Yep. That will be a large portion of our next episode. Excellent. Um, yeah. I kind of like the, like the, just, it feels like youthful, like, ignorance and optimism and hope like it's this thing that we all kind of understand like yeah if there's a power vacuum another criminal's going to move in but like he's this like idealistic 15 year old who just says well maybe not i'm gonna i'm gonna take the chance of that anyways well and, and
0: i i guess i when you were saying it's like naivete or or whatever you just said that means the same thing as like you know youthful <laughs> innocence you know It's innocence about that, that, oh, no, you know, this probably won't happen. But also it's like this guy is the most powerful person you were just told. You just looked at like this huge crime story and this guy's at the top. And you're like, why doesn't anyone go after this guy? And they're like, because it's impossible to. He's like too powerful. And you have this 15 year old that's like, well, I could probably handle this. I just beat up the shocker. How much harder can he be than the shocker? (laughs) yeah let let alone that there's still this like creature that was like a hulk-sized goblin that just happened yesterday that maybe you should see what's going on with that first but
1: and let's be honest if he wasn't getting shot from like a police chopper he probably would have killed you yeah <laughs> <laughs> He, yeah, you, Sp-
0: Spider-Man's probably got this one covered, though. <laughs>
1: you gotta love him. He's got spunk.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, we are now eight issues into this series. Uh, we saw some Bendis writing on the team-up books. We've seen eight issues of um, Bagley's art in this series. Do you feel like you've picked up on any, like, Traits or hallmarks of both of their styles, or have anything to say about how they work together?
0: Okay, what was the set you said about Bendis's writing, and then what else?
1: Bagley's art.
0: Oh, um, the art, probably not, because I don't really notice stuff like that. You know, like it could be drawn in a bunch of different styles, and I wouldn't really have anything to say about what the style is, apart from like it looks good. That's uh, fair. But like, I guess sometimes you can be like, "Oh yeah, this looks more cartoony or less cartoony or something." But I don't really even have the words to describe. Do the that
1: like, of- do the eyes, the eye palettes, like in his on his costume, just feel like? super big to you because I uh, that's yes the, they, they are huge the super big eyes and like the disproportionately small like like teenagerishly small body are what I always think of so, as like Be- uh Bagley's ultimate spider-man look
0: yeah i I uh, know exactly what you mean and I like noticed that before but I wouldn't have even probably like you know been able to pull it out but i actually don't that's not my favorite look for spider-man um i don't think it's bad but it just does i think i like more of a face this looks a bit too young and a bit too insect-like in the face
1: well he's a teenage spider man i,
0: I, I, I know <laughs> which makes it a perfect costume for a teenage Spider-Man. But I guess I just like a little bit more of a, uh, a face, but but I shouldn't even say that because I like it. I've never really noticed, though. I don't pretty, you know, it's good. But the writing, Bendis' writing, I think, is easier to pick out because I think just the way he writes in little jokes and makes little commentary on, like, The politics of the world um i feel like he puts in little little stuff here and there where i can be like oh yeah you know this guy likes to write in real world politics without like hitting it over your head kind of
1: yeah i feel like bendis hitting the like big like marvel books At around this stage of his career and then moving forward, obviously. I feel like it was like when uh, Quentin Tarantino started making movies, because you know how like you can pick out Tarantino dialogue? Like, yeah, they'll just be talking about nothing at all. But that's like how people talk in the real world. Yeah, I feel like Bendis does that. And a lot of people don't like him because of that. They wish that, you know, you would just, you know, look out Spider-Man. Oh, take this. Like, like, I don't know, like (laughs) not right. Like real people. But yeah, I feel like that's the only like. I love it. That's I feel like that's what makes, you know. Yeah. The book some of the times. I agree. I, I and I think that every issue
0: is such a quick read. Also, like they never feel like they drag or anything like that.
1: Which is strange because he does like a decompressed storytelling. Like he took a 15 page story and turned it into five issues for yeah, Spider-Man's that's origin. True. But those issues go fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I would say that they go faster than where they pack it all in. in like the very first episode ever where we have to s- s- spend like three pages on Peter being the biggest dork on the planet and like you know, getting invited to the Rolling Stones concert or not getting invited to it or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I thought that was interesting. We can check in on this later in the pod and like in future episodes and see if there's anything else that you've picked out or have come to notice about the art or the writing or anything. I just wanted to touch on that while we're pretty early on, just see what your impressions were. Yeah. All right. So, for this last issue, do you still want to do um eight biceps to judge or do we want to switch to a different <laughs> metric since there was no green goblin? Well,
0: there's eight abdominal muscles.
1: You what can't did I have say? Eight biceps. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm tired.
0: Um I don't have another thing to judge it, but if you have something we can
1: How about 10 (laughs) pictures of Spider-Man pictures of Spider-Man. I was going to say like like newspaper headlines, but I was like, that actually sucks.
0: (laughs) Um, if we're going to go out of 10, I'm going to give this one a nine out of 10 pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, as you know, I always love a scene with J Jonah Jameson. It's probably my favorite character in that we see. It seems like as far as lines you have that are just like spot on, he has the highest batting percentage, you know, <laughs> like he, he's batting a hundred percent where every line J Jonah Jameson gets. I'm just like enthralled reading it. Yeah. Um. So I like all of those scenes. You know, I just thought this one was, uh this one was really great. Like if, if it was out of eight, abdominal muscles, I was going to give it an eight out of eight because I wanted to rate it better than the first one we read. But because we upped the scale to out of 10, I will give it nine out of 10.
1: That's fair. Yeah. I was about to say eight, but I really feel like I go too hard on, on these. And you're absolutely right. This had a lot of great J Jonah Jameson lines. It had that great Betty Brant line. Yeah. It. I was just saying, I don't like super fight heavy, Issues and this was almost all interpersonal stuff that sets up the rest of the series. Yeah, I I do think
0: that nightmare with Uncle Ben is like that. Totally caught me off guard that it was a nightmare when that changed into Uncle Ben. Like, I did not see that coming at all. I I thought like we were about to see that Spider Man was kind of bulletproof and someone shot him and he was going to be like, oh that thank god i'm bulletproof or something like that and then he was going to punch the guy and then it turned into uncle ben and i was like oh my gosh he's like having a nightmare so i really liked that scene um but yeah and it was a lot all good silent
1: stuff. there was no words yeah. either yeah which, which is probably how we see- should have
0: known it was a nightmare cuz he wasn't quipping
1: well, I mean that's that's not something that's like new to this book. I mean, there have been entire issues that Marvel has published that are just completely silent. But it's something that's rare enough that it stands out when it happens. You feel like, oh, this was intentionally done for a reason. So yeah. I think it definitely um, gave more weight to that scene. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I, I got to give it nine out of ten pictures of Spider Man too. <laughs> Nice.
0: High, high rating on this one. This might be the favorite that we've talked about then. The, the, I, this one or probably the one with Wolverine where my, uh, were my two favorites. I like the Tony Stark
1: one too. I don't think we were rating in episode one, but I think the very first issue you and I were both real high on. Okay. But all right. You got any, uh, any closing thoughts, any, anything else you want to get off your chest?
0: I I don't have anything. I know uh, last episode we talked about, you know, maybe doing a a something interesting or just 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 whatever's uh, on the top of your head. I don't know if you have anything. I I figured, you know, I went to Disney and got this cool Christmas tree Spider-Man mug. So that would that could be our interesting thing for this week. If you didn't have anything,
1: a parting thought. Yeah, Um, well, I mean, I'll say this for the pod, you already know, but I just got a PlayStation four as an early Christmas gift. I've been behind on getting a new uh, console since 2009 when I got an Xbox 360. So finally getting back into gaming just a little bit. And I've been playing the Spider-Man game. Um, that's a good. that's
0: that's that's pretty new game that just came out, right? Spider-Man for PS4.
1: Yeah, newer than anything that I ever played on the PlayStation. <laughs> My last Madden was 2011, so that tells you anything. How are you liking it? Dude, I am loving it. I like actually get giddy whenever I turn the, the thing on. I've only had it for two days now. Um, Is it? It is
0: fun. I remember just like getting it and swinging around the city and it is, it is a very cool, uh, like feeling game. It's very, yes. it really makes you feel like you are swinging around
1: the city. Shyla and I commute together and the last t- two mornings when we've been driving into work, I've just been talking her ear off on like what side mission I just did the other day <laughs> and she couldn't care less, but I'm just like so excited about it. It's funny. That's funny. So Let excited to get you... back into video games. All right. Well, uh, thanks for chatting, John. It was fun as always. Uh yeah, next, what's next week? Next week, we will be back in this main series looking at issues nine through twelve.